Amen. Just thought I'd get a, a drink of water before I... <laughs> I, I am kind of excited about tonight, but to be honest, I'm a little bit more excited about right now. Are you, are you kidding me, right? Hey, this God who created like everything, uh, this God who takes all my failures and mistakes and forgives them, I mean, I, I get to worship him? Are you kidding me? I, I, I'm a lot more excited about right now. Hey, welcome to week four of our Let's Be Sure to Kick Off the New Year in an awesome, life-changing, God-honoring way series. This year can be different. Does anybody out there want this year to be different? To be better, to be brighter, to, to be bolder, to be more awesomer, 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 more awesome. I, I try to make up words sometimes, but it doesn't work. But here's the deal, and it, it, it's true. If you, if you embrace and keep striving to live out what we've been talking about since January 6th, I guarantee Seriously, I I 100% guarantee that your 2019 will be different. You you see, that's the way it always is. When we hear, when we apply, when we do, when we live out God's word. Amen? Amen. Get it? it. Good. However, without doing, hearing without doing, conviction without action will not bring about a single one of the changes that we're hoping to find this year. Uh, Jesus' half-brother, James, put it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, to, to merely listen is kind of like auditing, auditing, auditing. Wow, auditing, auditing, auditing. I'm having trouble speaking today. Auditing, auditing, auditing. Wow. Welcome to Maple Grove. Okay? It's like when you audit a class, right? Like, if you don't want to have to do the work, you don't have to do the work, right? And that's what it is when we listen without doing. Hey, I I hear all that cool stuff God is saying. I like it, but I'm just going to audit that word. I'm not going to do it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whatever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have seen, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Uh, They'll be blessed in what they do. Now, Now look at someone and tell them, come on, just do it and you'll be blessed. Look at three people. Come on. Come on, just do it and you'll be blessed. Come on. And and, and I get it. I'm with you. I mean, sometimes I, I want the blessing without the doing. But that's not how things work in the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's true that this year can be different. And you will be blessed if, as we have learned in week one, if you decide to grow like Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom intellectually, in stature, physically, and in favor with God spiritually and with man relationally. And, and, and I know some of you may be, may be tired of hearing me 
Beat the same drum. It's been four weeks. Have you filled out your values and goals survey sheet yet? Have you set goals in those four specific areas? Man, if you have, great. That's awesome. I print out a bunch of more sheets in the back at the counting. I encourage you to do that. See, the thing is, we usually know what we need to do, right? And some of these things you've known for years. And, you know, there's power in writing them down and then sharing that with somebody else. I, I challenge you to do that. And just see what happens. See what happens. You cannot afford, I know I can't, to let another year slip away without living the full and abundant life that God has for you. Get it? Good. At least two of you got it, right? Uh, this year can be different if you grow like Jesus and, and if you embrace these, th- these three things. Thing number one, forgetting, losing out of mind what is behind. And, and for some of you, what you need to leave behind <clears throat> is some sin that has been dogging you, controlling you, and holding you captive for years. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a destructive tongue. Whatever it is, repent and leave it behind. Or maybe you need to leave behind trying to earn God's grace. Or maybe you need to leave behind some hurt caused by another person. And I know, I I know it hurt. and, And I know the pain, even after all these years, has not subsided. But just let it go. It sure can be different if you embrace and live out thing number two, straining toward and pressing on to what is ahead to becoming more and more like Jesus. And I know that seems like a huge task, right? Like how in the world will you and you ever become more like Jesus? How? How will you ever love like Jesus? How will you ever forgive like Jesus, accept like Jesus, have compassion like Jesus, be like Jesus? Remember, I've been saying for three weeks, it's not about how, it's about where, right? It's about where it happens. If you want to become more like Jesus, you have to embrace actions that put your life in the dirt, like a seed in the ground, and then you just let the dirt, you let the Holy Spirit do its work, You read your Bible and you pray often. You get in the dirt. You make being in church each week a priority. You get in the dirt, right? You join a life group and do life together. You get in the dirt. You set some goals, spiritual, intellectual, physical, relational goals, and you get in the dirt. And finally, you embrace thing number three. You trust in The Lord, you trust in his person, you trust in his purposes, you trust in his promises, you trust in his process, and you lean not on your own understanding. Listen, you are not smart enough, you're not wise enough, I don't care how many letters you have after your name, you're not 
that smart or that wise to build your life on your own understanding. Amen? And then you acknowledge God in all your ways. That means everything you do and say, you do in light of who he is and what he said. Well, that's where we've been so far. And, and, and uh, if you miss any of the messages, I encourage you to check them out online. But this morning, in a conversation, I'm calling, what does it matter? We're going to unpack some words that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago from a prison cell in Rome to a bunch of Jesus followers living in Philippi. Uh, words that have a have two powerful truths that if we will embrace them will make this year different. And you know, I put on my Facebook this morning, you know, I'm excited about the message and I really need this one. I really need this one. And I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about claiming this one. Because this one can set somebody free. This one can set you free. Maybe you're chained to something right now, and we're about to talk about today, could set you free. Now, Paul wrote these words decades after God knocked him off his horse, his high horse, when he was on the road to Damascus. You know that moment when, when God made him go blind so that he was able to actually see? And sometimes God has to do that even to us. He, he wrote four letters from prison, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So he's in prison, it's dark, it's damp, He's in chains. The, the door to his cell is shut. He's old. He's weary. His, his body is pretty worn out. He's been through a lot. So needless to say, Paul was not in a place that he would have chosen, but yet there he was. And listen, this wasn't the first time that, that Paul had, had been in prison. As a matter of fact, his first imprisonment happened in Philippi. We read about it in Acts chapter 16. Maybe you remember the story. It's when Paul did what you normally do when your body is beaten and you're locked in chains. I mean, Paul just couldn't help himself. He started singing praises to God in jail. Powerfully illustrating for us the truth that you can either let your change break your praise or you can let your praise break your chains. And listen, as he praised God at midnight, the chains, the, all the prisoners fell off. You see, sometimes God will use your situation to set somebody else free. And so you've been questioning what you're going through, and maybe it's not even about you. Uh, maybe it's about God using you to help someone else get free. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and that's that Greek word, gnosko, and not head knowledge, heart knowledge. He said, I want you to know. Deep down here, I, I want you to know. I, I mean, can you feel the passion in his words? I, I mean, these are words from a, a, a seasoned gospel warrior. He's been there and done that more times than he can count. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Hey, can we just pause for a moment and acknowledge that that is something mind-blowing for a guy to say who's chained up in a prison cell. I mean, like, how does something like that even happen? As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Interesting thing about that, or, like the word palace guard, it's actually, you know, the, the praetorian guard. 
you know, the, the elite. Uh, there were 9,000 Roman soldiers who, who made up the Praetorian Guard, and their job was to uh, protect the emperor and his family and to guard prisoners who came to, to Rome to, to make their appeal before Caesars, and they actually live in the emperor's palace. They've been around for about 70 years, instituted by Augustus Caesar. Uh, they were courageous, brilliant, sophisticated, strong young men. They served for 12 years, and then they retired, and mostly retired around Rome, where they had a lot of political influence, right? Uh, they had a strong influence on the, on, the, on the Roman Senate. Usually their candidate was the one who was nominated to be the emperor. And, and so could you, if you wanted to win the Roman Empire, could you think of a, a more strategic group of guys to be around? Okay, and so what was happening was those men, the Praetorian Guard, in four-hour shifts every day for two-plus years were chained to the Apostle Paul. If you do the math, that's 4,380. I don't know how many times they had to do it, repeat the process. Imagine what it was like. I mean, they looked over his shoulders as he wrote. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. They listened as Paul talked to the people who came to to visit him in prison. And I'm sure in those slow moments that, that Paul shared the gospel with these young men. It makes you wonder who was really chained to who, right? And little by little, these men began to give their life to Jesus. In fact, as Paul closes the letter to the church in Philippi, he says this, the brothers who are with me send you greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. He's talking about the Praetorian Guard. I love it. Caesar unknowingly became the chairman for the evangelism of the Roman Empire. I love it. Back to our text. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Paul says, yeah, I know that not everybody likes me. Look at somebody and tell them, Not everybody's supposed to like you. Now look at the person on the other side who you didn't want to look at and tell them, hey, if everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. He goes on, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. I like the words he chose. I am put here. I'm not here by accident. And I know I was sent here by a Roman decree, but I was put here for the purposes of God. I I was put here for the defense of the gospel. I was put here for my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Hey, maybe that's who has put you where you are right now, where you don't want to be. Uh, Maybe God put you there for a reason in that circumstance. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my change more painful to me. Ever had any people like that in your life? Who who wanted to make your change, your situation, your circumstance, your hardship, 
who wanted to make your pain more painful. That's not fun. And now we come to the four words that are the heartbeat of this morning's message. I mean, Paul's like, yeah, I'm in prison. And I know a bunch of people are talking smack about me and they don't like me. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He says, I rejoice in that not because everything is going great in my life, because it's not. I rejoice not because everybody likes me and says nice, nice things about me, because they're not. Instead, because of this, that Christ is preached, that I rejoice. And then he says, yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love it. I love what Paul's saying. Paul's like, hey, I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I win either way, no matter what. Therefore, it doesn't matter to me if my situation changes or if it stays the same. Regardless, either way, I am still a winner for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm the going living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. May God bless and may the Holy Spirit move for the reading of his word. Father God, we love you. Holy Spirit, descend. Help me to say what you want me to say, Lord. Help me to hear what you want me to hear. And Father, for those in this room who desire for this life, their life to be different, I pray they lean in. Because I'm so leaning in right now. Amen. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. Repeat after me. What does it matter? What does it matter? Okay, so Paul's not only enduring, he's not only sucking it up, but he's actually experiencing joy in that circumstance. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He has no idea when or if he'll ever be set free. It's somehow right in the middle of all that, while being on lockdown, he not only talks about the process of the gospel, but, he, but he, he writes one of the happiest books in the entire Bible. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Right? 
Question. If rejoicing always and continually, if that, if joy is what both defines and characterizes your life in 2019, would your year be different? I mean, like if 330 some days from now, as you are looking back on 2019, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, can you give me one word that describes your life in 2019? And if you were to say, oh, that's the easy one. The one word to describe my life this past year is the word joy. Now, if you really said that and meant that, if joy, rejoicing always and continually really did summarize your entire year coming up, would this year be different? Would your year be different? I don't know about you, but if on December the 31st, I can really say that and mean that, that when I look back on this year, all I see is that three-letter word, joy. I tell you what, without a doubt, my year would be different. It would be better. It would be awesome. It would be amazing. And just think how crazy it would be that if everyone in this room would say, oh, yeah, when I look back on this year, 2019, man, it was just about joy. Rejoicing always and continually. Question, and be honest. Does something like that, does living like that even seem possible? Does it seem possible for you? But it's possible, right? (laughs) I mean, Paul chained up to a Roman soldier was somehow able to pull it off for two plus years. And listen, listen, as Jesus followers, we have received the same grace and we are filled with the same spirit. Therefore, joy and always and continually rejoicing is possible for you. Now, here's that new phrase, said it, get it, got it good, the new one I like. If you put, okay? Joy and always and continual rejoicing is possible for you. Want it? No. Me too. Joy and always rejoicing, want it? No. Me too. Wouldn't you love to be able to sit down with Paul, grab a cup of coffee, and ask him, how were you able to pull off this joy thing? On the way, we get to do it. Because Paul really does want us to know. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, what has happened to Paul? Well, uh, two, there are two things that happened to Paul in this text that, that are usually pretty effective, effective at stealing somebody's joy. Number one, he was enduring a tough and difficult situation, right? Literally chained up in a first century prison cell. That had to be pretty uncomfortable. I mean, would anybody here, if you really could, would anybody here say, yeah, I'd like to trade places with Paul right now? Then maybe your circumstance ain't so bad. Hmm? Maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. Number two, people are talking trash about him. They preach with self-ambition, not sincerely intending to make my change more painful to me. Hey, Paul, did you hear about all the negative, critical, hateful, and untrue things people are saying about you? Like, bro, they don't like you. And they're doing everything they can to get as many people as they can to feel the exact same way. I mean, they even set up a fake Facebook and Instagram account for you. 
And they're just shredding you on it, Paul. They're making you look so bad. I mean, if you read it, Paul, you wouldn't even like you. And Paul's response is classic. He's not sweating it. He's not letting it still end of his joy. He simply says, but what does it matter? Does it matter? I, I don't care what people think about me or say about me. That's not what's important to me. And since I have a joy that they did not give me, then they cannot take it from me. What does it matter? What does it matter what people say about me? What does it matter? W-D-I-M. Right? W-D-I-M. Right? We should have bracelets, right? What does it matter? What a way to live. What a way to have joy. But can I confess something to you? I'm not as good at that as I'd like. I mean, sometimes what people say about me, what they think about me, and what I think they think about me can weigh me down to the point where I get so distracted and so discouraged. Can I ask you to pray for me? If you would, I'm seriously, pray for me. Stretch out your hand and, and just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for Pastor Steve. That he would stop being so stupid. To let stupid stuff, like what people say or think, discourage and sidetrack him for what really matters. And then would you pray for the person next to you? God, I pray for this person that they would stop letting what other people say about them or think about them <laughs> well, the, ruin their day, contaminate their joy, crush their spirit, distract them from their destiny and who they are in Christ, So they can focus on what really matters. In Jesus' name, amen. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Okay, okay lean in, church. This is, this is key. Paul says, the important thing is, and listen, whatever you put next will determine what your joy, what your peace, what your hope is chained to. I'm serious. Whatever you put after the important thing is, your joy will move up or down with that thing. So how would you complete that statement? The important thing is. And I know sitting here, we know what the right answer is, right? We know what to say. The important thing is Jesus. Jesus. I mean, that's what we want to say, right? I mean, you guys wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning. But listen, it's not about what we say. It's, it's about what the reality is in our lives. Understand, if the important thing is that people like you and say nice things about you, then when people like you, when they say nice things about you, you will like you. 
and you'll have joy. However, when people, your spouse, coworkers, family members, teachers, coaches, exes, people who you thought were your friends, when people don't like you, when they start talking trash about you and saying negative, hurtful things about you, you won't like you. And you'll lose your joy because your joy is chained to that. And if, if the thing that's important, the most important thing is comfort. That when everything is just right, when the birds are singing and the, the sun is shining, when the bills are paid, when the job is great, when everyone's healthy and getting along, you will be happy and content and full of joy. But when the seas begin to rage and the floodwaters begin to rise and the winds begin to blow and, and, and when the inevitable storms of life begin to crash against your life, when you're chained to some unwanted and unpleasant circumstance, you will not be happy. You will not be content. You will lose your joy because your comfort and your joy, because your joy is tied to comfort. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. What does it matter? What happens to me? What does it matter what people say about me? Do you know how much better we would sleep? And, and, and how much stress would just disappear? If we were able to live that way, hey, what does it matter what people say? Well, what does it matter what happens to me? Well, how do we get there? Well, Paul talks about two choices that he made when he completed that statement. Number one, the important thing is God's approval, not man's approval. And, and I think it's kind of cool. It wasn't intentional. If you're taking notes, you'll notice that I left off apostrophe S for, I had man, man approval, right? I'm a caveman. I want man, man approval, man approval, right? You know, and, and maybe some of you are thinking, I can't believe it. This guy went to college. He's supposed to be educated. He's a pastor. You know, I, I can't believe he would leave a typo in there. You know, I can't, you know what? You may be thinking that. You know what I say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Right? See, here, here, here's the deal. This is true. Uh, many people in our world are in bondage, and not to alcohol, not to drugs. They're in bondage to approval. They're addicted to approval. I'm, I'm going to give you a little test. Answer in your mind, and you can see if you have approval addiction. If you find yourself getting hurt by what other people say about you, if you get ticked off or want to cry when people express other than glowing opinions about you, you probably have it. If you actually compare yourself with other people, if you find yourself getting competitive in the most ordinary situations, you probably have it. If you live with a nagging sense that you're not important enough or special enough, or you get envious of another person's success, you probably have it. If when others are getting praised or complimented, you get mad, wish it was you they were talking about, or you begin to feel like the praise that other people get somehow devalues you, you probably have it. If you keep trying to impress important people, 
If the number of likes you get on Instagram or Facebook can either make you happy or sad, you probably have it. If you're even now at this moment thinking that someone in this room thinks that you have approval addiction, you probably have it. Hey, hey by the way, this, this conversation, this sermon is helping you guys, right? I mean, I'm, I'm doing okay? I mean, this is really helping? Okay. Just. <laughs> and listen, we were made, we were wired up to seek approval. We can't help ourselves. I mean, look at a baby when they're loved, when they're noticed, when they're delighted in, they just beam. They just radiate joy. And we know that's good. You see, the question is not, will we seek approval? But the question is, where will we seek it? Listen, we, we, have, we have an infinite need for approval. That's part of being human. And the good news is our God has an infinite supply. But only he does. So you need to live to please him. You need to, you need to live to be approved by him. You need to find your security in him. Security in his love. You need to find your identity in the image of God and what God says about you. You need to chain your life and your joy to God's approval, not human approval. And listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can't live for both human approval and God's approval at the same time. Paul said this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. Paul said, man, whose approval do I want to get? You know, one of my favorite contemporary Christian songs right now, I listen to it a lot. Like, I listen to it four times a day. Four times today. It's called You Say by Lauren Daniel. It goes, here's a part of the words, You Say. And it has this line. Because the song is about, hey, all these thoughts in your head saying you're not good enough, you don't measure up. You know, I, I can feel that way at times. I'm messed up, I own it. And it says this, the only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you I find my worth and you I find my identity. The important thing is God's approval. The important thing is God's love for you. What does it matter? We need to take those four words with us this week. And when some fashion expert doesn't approve of your clothes, what does it matter? Uh, when the cool kids don't approve of your taste in music, what does it matter? Uh, when a coworker doesn't like your idea, what does it matter? When someone says something untrue or negative about you, what does it matter? When someone chooses to ignore you or isolate you, what does it matter? When someone tells you you're too old to be playing in your ninth Super Bowl, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Tune out the noise. What does it matter? When the law enforcement officer doesn't like how fast you're driving, what? No, you may want, that may need to matter a little bit to you. And let me be clear, when you take 
what does it matter out into this week, into your life? It does not mean that people do not matter to you. It just means that, hey, you know what? I, I'm living for an audience of one, and I like you. You're okay, but you ain't that one, right? I'm not living for, you're okay, but I'm not living for you. I'm not living for your approval. I'm living for an audience of one, of the one who always already approves of me. See, God is not calling you to win universal approval. I remember when I started working at a church, I had this idea, this weird thought that, well, if I work at a church, everybody's going to like me, right? Because it's church. <laughs> it never works that way. Not everybody's going to like you, so stop trying. You will never scratch that itch. But, but here's the amazing thing. Jesus likes me. Jesus likes me. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And knowing that gives me the strength to say, what does it matter what other people think or say about me? Another choice Paul made, the important thing is my, my calling, not my comfort. You see, Paul chose to chain his life to his comfort. I mean, not to his comfort, but to his calling, to God's purposes. And here's what he knew. He knew that every chain, every hardship, every difficulty had a, had a higher purpose, right? He knew it had a higher purpose. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures where Paul talks. You can see him making this choice between his calling and his comfort. And he chose calling. Acts chapter 20. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord gave me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And he said, hey, I choose calling over comfort. I'm going to Jerusalem. What does it matter? He writes in Romans, to us, we too can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Got any? For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's giving us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. What does it matter? What happens to us? Second Corinthians chapter 1, credible words. And, and if we grasp this, it's really going to help us, right? Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can go on and do all the stuff we want to do in life and live happy. No. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He said, you're going through a hard time and it's difficult. But you know, the awesome thing is somewhere down the road, you went through that divorce, you lost your spouse, you went through that crisis at work and it was hard, it was difficult, but God came alongside of you and now someone else is going through the same thing and you get to take the comfort that God gave you and you get to pour that comfort into somebody else. 
You see, Paul came to a place where his life, where his priority was set. His calling, not comfort. Paul's life was about, I, I want to know him. And, and, and I, I want to make him known. I want real joy. The joy that... The kind of joy that the world doesn't give me, the kind of joy that the world can't snatch from me. Now, Paul says, yeah, my hands and feet may be locked and chained, but my spirit is free. I don't know how long I'll be in these chains. But since God has not removed these chains, Paul said, if you're not going to remove these chains, God, will you please use these chains? Would you use them? Listen, since God hasn't fixed the situation, hasn't fixed the relationship, hasn't given you the breakthrough yet, hasn't removed the hardship, hasn't healed the sickness, maybe what you need to do is say, God, God, if I can't change it, God, would you use it to change me? And would you use it to help me change somebody else? What does it matter? The important thing is God's approval, not man's approval. The important thing is our calling, not our comfort. What does it matter? What a way to live, right? My calling is more important than my comfort. God's approval is more important than what people think about me. Oh, we're going to sing a song, and, and as we lead into communion, we take communion every week. It's off to the side. Uh, we have two cups together. You'll see the cracker on the bottom cup. And this is time to remember what Jesus did for us. He, his body was broken and his blood was shed. You know, you know, we offer communion to everybody. Everybody's welcome to partake and remember what Jesus did for them. To give them hope, to forgive their sins. And, and and sometimes we do different things and, you know, and I don't know, maybe everybody likes you right now and no one's talking smack about you. Everybody said, man, you're awesome, you're amazing, right? You know, you're incredible. Yeah. And maybe there's no hardship right now. Like, man, relationships are great. There, there's, everything is just, you know, awesome. You're on a cruise ship sipping iced tea, you know. Or maybe not. And, and, and maybe you're like, you know what, I, I really don't want what people think about me to weigh me down so much. I really don't want circumstances that control me such that I have no joy. I want God to be able to use those circumstances for him. And, and, and if there's something in your life, like during this time, after the song, during communion, you can grab a piece of chalk and you just write out and think of that thing. Man, someone, it could be a, a parent, a child, whatever. Someone's saying stuff about you, thinking things about you. And you just write on there, you don't have to put your name, what does it matter? And you're declaring to God that it doesn't matter because you have his approval. If you're going through a hard time when you write it, you're saying, God, you know what? I, I didn't choose this, but I know you can use this. What does it matter? It won't steal my joy. So after the song, feel free to go over and take communion. That's where we grab our offering. But if there's something in your life, you say, God, I'm going to do something right now. I'm going to claim your truth today, and I'm going to write it up there on this chalk and pray, God, that it really makes a difference, and those things won't matter to me and control my joy anymore. I don't want my joy chained to things like that anymore.